Hello and happy 2024. I'm Margaret Petrie and this is Authentic Obsessions, where artists and creatives in hot pursuit of their lives give us a little glimpse of what it's like in their shoes, warts and all. I have several episodes in the hopper that will be released every couple weeks, so sit back and enjoy this first one. Today's guest is my sweet husband, Nick Petrie, father, writer, hiker, reader, sourdough bread baker, among other things. If you have not listened to our first conversation, which was episode 15, way back in 2020, go back and listen to that one first, and you will hear him talk about his creative path and dealing with those pesky internal voices. And no, they never go away. I think you just get better at acknowledging them and saying, hello, I see you. You can go away now. Nick received his MFA in fiction from the University of Washington. And while he was an undergraduate at the University of Michigan, he won a Hopwood Award, which I understand is kind of a big deal, for short fiction. He is the author of eight best-selling Peter Ash crime fiction novels, including The Price You Pay, which comes out February 6th, 2024. During our conversation, he mentions our difficult year. And a lot of you know this, but Nick's father passed away in February. My mom passed away in March. Nick experienced a bit of turnover with multiple editors at his publisher. His current book is taking a little longer to complete than he expected. And like so many of you, we just had the everyday bumps in the road. Nothing serious, you know, some sickness, injury. And all those positive and exciting things too. I had a big birthday. We went on some trips. I finished a couple courses I was doing. Our son moved to London. So, you know, for better or worse, 2023 was just filled with lots of change. It went really fast. All of this to say, we are both so grateful to be able to use our creative muscles in the way that we do. And we're also feeling very fortunate that we're able to deal with setbacks, ask for help when we need it. And we just have these amazing family and friends surround us with love and support. You know who you are. Thank you to everyone who is part of our lives. I hope all of you have the same. So during this episode, Nick talks about the challenges of creating on a deadline thinking way too much what other people will think about work that he hasn't even published yet, having faith and trust in the thing you're doing. And we talk about those feelings that come up when you're in the midst of marketing and promotion, which is where he is right now. Okay. I am delighted to get back to having these conversations and publishing regular episodes again. So let's get on with it. Nick, thank you so much for doing this with me. Last year was very sporadic. Now I'm back for 2024 and I'm ready and let's kick it off with you. All right. I'm I'm the inaugural 2024 interview. You are. We recorded our first conversation in September of 2020. It was that long ago? It was that long ago. So you guys, you have to go listen to that episode. It's episode 15. And you're going to hear all about Nick's creative path, how he got where he is today, or where he got to in 2020 anyway, his thoughts on like making choices and quieting those internal voices. And I may revisit a couple of those same questions, but 
I'm going to try and do something a little different here. So, so are you ready? Ready, ready. I am ready as I'll ever be. Okay. I just want to start off and ask you if you have thought about an obsession since then. At the time, about three years ago, you came to the conclusion that you were obsessed with a great sentence. And I'm wondering if anything new has popped up since then. Well, I still think a lot about a great sentence. I mean, to me, that's the building block for a novel. Um, but, you know, lately, the thing that has really been capturing my interest and attention is uh, sort of creativity in general. Uh, so I've been reading a lot about uh, neuroscience and how the brain works. Um, there's a, a great book that you gave my mom for Christmas called The Brain on Art, which I really want to read. You know, I, I mean, it, it's everything from uh, writers' memoirs to, uh, you know, kind of there's some really good how-to stuff out there. And even though I've, I've, you know, working my way through my ninth novel now, like there's still so much useful stuff to find. And I think that for me personally, that is the key to finding longevity and to finding my way through this for the long haul is to get a better grasp on how I function as a creative person, how my, you know, the, the how I find ideas, how I develop ideas, how I uh, get in my own way. I think, I mean, I think a lot about that. I think, I think uh, a lot of writers think uh, about, you know, how they're, how, what writing is supposed to be like or how, you know, how they're doing it wrong. I think a lot about how, how I, I used to think more about how I'm doing it wrong. Um, and I have since just come to the conclusion that, you know, the way that I work is the way that I work and I can hopefully evolve that. But um, I don't know. So that, that's the thing that, that's sort of the meta thing above the work itself that I really have been thinking about. Yeah. And I love talking about that stuff with you. We come at it from a little bit different perspective, but it's all the same stuff. We both have the same challenges, the same internal debates with ourselves and the mental mindset that we have to get over all the time. Sure. I, it's what I love about your podcast, because I think those issues transcend all mediums, whether you're a sculptor or a painter uh, or a ceramic artist or a writer or, you know, an actor. I mean, I, I like reading profiles of actors because they go through the same challenges, right? So whether... Uh, I, I just think it, I think it, there is a universality to it that is really useful once you dive in. So can you share with us some of the tricks that you have learned or the things that you do to sort of get in that frame of mind to get in your office and write or to get over those obstacles and those challenges? Sure. There are a couple of pieces to that. And, and one is, um, is to try to never get out of that frame of mind. In a way, um, you know, it, ha it has been a source of conflict in our marriage that like I get up, I'm, I am already thinking about I, the, the work I'm going to do that day. And, and I don't really want to, you know, interact or talk about household chores. I want to I want to get up and I want to get some exercise in and I want to, you know, make some coffee and make some breakfast and go to my office because um, I, I do work best in the morning. And I think that's a, a big piece of it for any creative person is to find out when you're the most productive. So that, that's part of it is just to, to cultivate that in the course of my, you know, when I get up, 
And, and one of the things that means is that I, I don't want to read the paper in the morning. Uh, I don't want to listen to a podcast if I go for a walk. Um, if I listen to music, I want to listen to kind of the same playlist because it just gets me in that frame of mind. There's something very Pavlovian about that. Um, so that's that's kind of the central piece of it. But the the other the other thing is there's a there's a great quote by the Nobel laureate poet Seamus Haney, um, and I I was at a lecture he gave back when we lived in Seattle at the University of Washington. Uh, and someone asked him what the hardest thing about writing poetry was. And his answer was getting started, keeping going, and getting started again, which I loved because, you know, gee, you're a, a Nobel laureate and an internationally famous poet. Um, but, you know, guess what? You, you know, you, it, you, failure is built into that equation, right? Um, so I find that very reassuring. And then so that just to, as, as part of that, the other reason why, I mean, so part of it is, is sort of waking up in that, in that frame of mind. And the other tools are about how to, how to find it when I've lost it, you know, how to go back to that. Um, and part of it is just don't do stupid stuff like check your email five times because that, that there's nothing more guaranteed to pull you out of the project that you're working on than when you keep checking email or you're you know, looking at social media or there's, you know, just because there's something you're waiting for or something you need to, to, you know, make, you know, move on. But it's also, you know, sometimes I will just sit in my office with a cup of coffee and I will pull the, the document up that I'm working on. And if I, even if I don't quite know what's going to happen, I will just sit and stare at it. Um, and, and this sounds a little woo woo, but you just, I'm just sort of listening for you know, the faintest whisper of, of, of something to tweak, you know, and I like, you know, and it's, it, it'll, it'll start with a sentence. It'll start with, well, like, you know, I should move, I should change this adjective or I should change the structure of the sentence. Um, and that's the thing that I find sort of pulls me in. And maybe that's, I always find it helps to fall into the work if I'm revising what I did the day before. So I always start with, um, you know, what I did the day before the last couple of days. And then I don't have to actually make anything new. I just have to make what I've already done better. And then once I fall into that, then it's a little easier. You know, I sort of get to the end of it and it's like, oh, so then now hmm, what happens next? Um, so th that, those are sort of my, the, the, the primary tricks and tools. And the, the other is to um, try, try not to have a big lunch because then I just want to take a nap. Uh, and I often go for a walk after lunch because, again, it 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 opens up that mental space, and uh, you're out in the world and you're staring around and your brain kind of gets to churn and to, and sometimes I'm very deliberate in in terms of what I'm trying to think about. So, gee, how do I solve this particular problem? And sometimes it's just like I'm taking 20 minutes for myself to let my mind wander, and I'm not in my office. And then when I go back in my office, I can focus again. So that's a very long answer to a very short question. <laughs> no, I get that. When you were talking about sitting in your office and having a cup of coffee and just turning your document up, it's almost like this little sneaky thing that you do, like like when you want a cat to come on your lap, but you pretend you don't want the cat on your lap, right? And then they come on your lap. So it's sort of like the document is up and it's finding you. You're not aggressively going at it but it's just like in the corner of your eye 
and then you just kind of see it. It's like this little tease. And then you're like, okay, okay, I'll listen. Okay, okay, I'm jumping in now. Yeah, I, I think that's actually just right. You do have to sort of sneak up on it. Um, and you do have to sort of find that uh, kind of internal place of receptiveness, of openness to what might happen. There's a, a choreographer, I don't know, I can't remember if it's Twyla Tharp or somebody else, who talks about uh, you have to keep a clean antenna. Mm. You know, you you have to not clog up your life with all this other crap. Um, and I, I, to me, I really love that idea. And it's one of the the central principles of my life. Um, totally. <laughs> you know, you 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 and I have talked about this for for years. Where there was there was a, a chunk of time where I I just said, well, I can only do three things, right? I can be a a husband and father, that's one thing. I can run a business, that's another thing. And then I can either work on a novel or I can do a home renovation project or I can, I don't even know what if there was ever a fifth thing. Um, but like, I, I believe in that. I believe that if you want to get good at something, you have to you have to winnow down so that you can really lean into whatever that thing is. Um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to run a triathlon, you know, you're not also playing basketball on the side, you know, that the time commitments, the energy commitments, the focus commitments is, is significant when you're doing something like writing a novel and trying to write a novel in a year, you know, every year, uh, you know, that's, that requires a certain kind of mindset that that's not always easy to get to. We own the book essentialism, right? Greg, that's Greg McEwen, by the way. Yeah, which is also super interesting. And I, I, these days I think about it as what's essential for now. I'm not putting everything on the back burner, but right now I can only do a few things. So I have come around to your way of thinking about the three things. I have a big fear of missing out, right? There are so many things I want to experience and you've seen me right. <laughs> go through those phases. Um, but really, if I just hunker down and do a couple things, I'm a lot happier we're a lot happier. My mental life is a little bit more stable. So I think you're spot on there. And sorry for all that, you know, previous decades of giving you shit about not being able to do more than three things. Well, you know, it, it takes what it takes to get you where you are, right? It's like, I, I feel like, so I'm, I'm 55 years old. And I feel like I am just learning some, some things about myself that really appear to be utterly fundamental. Like, how is how did it take me to get to the age of fifty five years old to to not to not understand some of these really simple things? So the other thing you said early on is you were talking about your mornings, and I think we talked about this in our last conversation. I do want to say that the last few years you have really evolved in that respect. We do have conversations in the morning. I don't know what triggered that. If it was you starting running every single morning or you're going out for a walk or a run, but things are different than they used to be. No, you're right. And I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, I think part of it is that I get up and get out, um, that I would get up and get out, you know, really within 10 minutes of, of, of waking up. Um, I would have my gear on and he would either go for a walk or go for a run, you know, whether it was August or February. Uh, and I think that was really good for my mental health. And it was something that I was doing just 
for me. I wasn't, it wasn't part of a, a writing process. Um, so it, it, it made me feel like, like I was doing something for my own pleasure, uh, as opposed to having my whole life be oriented at this one project that I was always working on. And that, and that just has made me more cheerful for one. And I'm more, I'm, you know, once, once you've been out moving your bones, you know, first thing in the morning, you, you do, you wake up, you, you know, are more connected to the world. You're more interested. Um, so I think that's part of it too. And part of it is I am just, I, I am, I think for, for a long time, I was really, uh, I think afraid that this thing that I get to do was going to be taken away from me. Um, and I, and I, that, I got very tightly wrapped around that subject and it seemed like there was so much at stake and it was so important. Um, and I'm, I'm still worried about that. I think that's a very real concern when you're, you know, when you're plugged into something like one of the big five publishing companies and I'm, I'm published by the biggest of the big five. Uh, and, and a lot of what happens is not in my control. You know, publishing is a it's a big business and it is an it is a brutal business. So, you know, it really has be, used to be, you know, somebody with an editor would find a writer and they would champion them and they would help them grow as writers. And, and now because it's all owned by big corporate money, it really is, you know, how much did you earn last year um, and is it worth our investment? Um, so it's it's become a. a you know, a much more brutal business than it's been. And so I do, I do worry about that piece, but I, I guess I've, I'm trying to get better at letting it go because I don't have any control over it. Right. And so why expend all of that effort trying to, uh, you know, obsess about something that is just outside my, my control. So, and I think that's part of that has made me more cheerful as well. And made me more, uh, just a happier person to sort of be like, well, uh, you know, all I can do is my, I can, I can make this book as good as I can make and I can try to entertain myself in the course of writing it. And hopefully that will entertain readers. And I think that's all anybody can do in a creative life is to make the thing that is interesting to you. And, you know, what happens when it goes into the marketplace is up to the marketplace. We try and practice a lot of letting go and acceptance around here. We're not always successful, yes. but we talk about it a lot. We, we are we are two uh, control enthusiasts. Um, we are who are doing our best to become less so. And we often want to control the same things, which isn't a good thing. But no. we, we need to we need to separate our control. Well, the worst is when we want to control each other. Like that's oh, the, that never happens. Nick. That's not that. That's okay, not let's move part. on. All right. <laughs> We did some marital therapy the last time too, as I recall. <laughs> During this conversation? Yeah. yeah. One of the things that we talked about in our last conversation, you said that one of the most profound challenges of your creative life was writing a, a book a year. And I'm very curious to know what you have to say on that subject right now. <laughs> Can you enlighten us on the whole book a year challenge? Oh, yeah. Well, so I this this year, well, 2023 was a year without a book. I published a, a book a year every year for seven years. Um, and then I, 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 I found a, I started working on a book that just did not want to progress. Um, and that's the book that's coming out 
uh, now in February of 2024. Um, but I ended up throwing out five months worth of work. And it was the thing that I was the most afraid of um, was that I would, I would blow my deadline and my publisher would be unhappy and uh, you know, my whole writing career would fall away and blah, blah, blah. And, and of course those things didn't happen. Um, my publisher was very kind to me because they knew how distressed I was about it. Um, and I, I ended up talking to a whole bunch of other writers when I was sort of, I was sort of at the point where I was like, should I just throw out this, this five months worth of work? Um, and so I went to a, this great conference uh, called the Tucson Festival of Books. And I just started, I didn't plan to do this. I just opened my mouth and out it came because, you know, that's me. Um, I started asking people if they ever had a book just kind of die on the vine. And people were really generous in those conversations. Um, I, I talked to one person who, who didn't respond and there was this long pause and I was like, oh dear, I have like, you know, embarrassed myself. And at the end of the long pause, he said, you know, actually, I think it's happening right now. Uh, and I had about another, another friend um, who is a very accomplished writer who um, had written a whole book that his publisher had paid him a lot of money for. And that was a very much anticipated title. And he finished it and he essentially told his editor, you know what, I can't give this to you because it's not good enough. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it on a shelf and I'm going to start something else. And, uh, and his, he says that every time he sees his publisher, they, they bring that up and, and how, how uh, they think of it as a, as a, an integrity move that you would not want to, you would not want to put something in the world that you weren't proud of. And so I really, like, I thought about all of those things. Um, and, and now that this book is uh, just about in the world, um, it, it's, and I, and I really think it's, it's one of the best things I've ever written. It's, 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 to me, it's sort of, uh, it's tied with, uh, the Iceland book as being the the, the best stuff I've done, uh, and so it's a kind of an interesting process to to go through that. Uh, and then actually the 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 other unexpected thing that happened is that uh, I I ended up taking this all the stuff that I had uh, thrown away and I turned it into a novella. So it's um, and it's going to be uh, published in Mystery Tribune. So if you want to read it, you can go to, you can Google Mystery Tribune, uh, Nick Petrie, and it's called uh, The Cleveland Job. We haven't really talked about the books that you write at all. So you write a series, a crime fiction series. Number eight is coming out. Peter Ash is the protagonist. And Peter has evolved a lot in the last eight books. Peter has been pretty much the main character even though there are a couple other very central characters in this series but this book is really taking lewis peter's good friend into the spotlight and sort of writing from his perspective in a way that you always did with peter and he's been in every single book and you've developed his character over the course of all these books but I'm just curious if there are any challenges with writing about Lewis in such an immersive way. For sure. I mean, I think that's really why um, that's why this book took so long to get started. I mean, all that stuff I threw out, um, I, I basically um, 
I started writing about Lewis's past. And I got so interested in Lewis's past that I never really brought it. I couldn't find a way to bring it into the present. And I couldn't find a way to have him relate to the book's main character, who is Peter Ash. And so like that, that was a big, that was a big challenge was that kind of shift. Um, and so in the end, you know, what happens with these books is that, so Peter, Peter finds somebody who's in trouble or somebody who's in trouble finds Peter. And because of who he is, he's a, he's a Marine Corps veteran. He's, you know, he's still very much uh, connected to the many years at war. He's got a post-traumatic stress that, that shows up as claustrophobia. So he's, he's a vulnerable, you know, we see his vulnerability along with his, his strength and his toughness. But so, so, you know, as a book begins, Peter, you know, connects with someone who I think of as sort of the client character, right? So there, you know, if you were writing a PI novel, there's always a client that shows up. Um, and so there's somebody who's who has a problem that Peter is trying to solve. And then at a certain point, Peter gets a little too deep in and he needs help. And so he calls on his friend, Lewis, uh, who, who uh, he refers to as the most dangerous man he's ever met. And then so then Lewis, you know, is sort of has Peter's back along the way. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to write a book where where instead of Lewis showing up to help Peter, Peter shows up to help Lewis. So I'm sort of turning the tables on this. And, and so, so Lewis becomes the client uh, and Peter is trying to help him. And so that was, it was a structurally and conceptually sort of an interesting thing to try to do. And I've never done anything quite like that. And, you know, readers have been asking for a version of this book ever since the very beginning, that first book, The Drifter, Lewis is in and, and Lewis is, a fan favorite for sure. And so part of the part of the fun was knowing that I could develop something that that readers had been asking for. And that was also part of the challenge because you know it was, oh my, you know, am I doing this in a way that people will like, right? And I'm in a way that my editor will accept and that readers will embrace. Um, and I, I, I especially at the beginnings of books, I always think way too much about what other people will think. Uh, and it's it's one of the funny things that right. So now this is book eight in this this series that uh, is sold uh, internationally. It's you know every book has been a national bestseller, um, and so there has be you know there's become this set of expectations, uh, and whether it's real or not, it's 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 certainly in my brain about uh, you know what and people have really definite ideas about these characters. Um, so it, it's a it adds this whole other element to to writing to that I have this audience out there that I have to sort of, you know, that are in my mind, even if I'm trying to pretend they don't exist. So that got, goes back to your question about, uh, you know, sort of mind tricks. I, I, I try to play on myself to help keep me going. Well, and talking about expectations of other people as related to your writing. You know, as as a series develops, like you said, your readers have these expectations, but how do you temper their expectations 
with what you don't even know is inside of you because you're a pantser. You don't plot out. You don't know what's going to happen in the end. You have to trust that what's going to come out in the next book will fulfill the expectations of other people. So there's these two warring things. No, you're absolutely right. And I think what you're, you're, you know, you, you said the solution, which is it, it really is about having faith in your own, in your own taste and in your own process. Um, and, and, you know, faith and trust, and, and it's not an easy thing to do for me, for sure. Um, but I mean, to me, that is the core of being a creative person is to, um, to find the thing that, you know, you want to do and to, and to do that, to do that thing and to not think about, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't go to a bookstore and look and see what's on the shelf and think about now, how, how can I, where's, where's the hole in the subject matter that I can fill? Right. You know, what, what kind of character isn't represented? That's not, I, I, that is not how, how I work. Um, for me, it's, it all comes from inside. Um, and, um, you know, that, that is the ongoing challenge for me is how do I block out the rest of the world and try to find the thing that I am doing. And I, and I talked to, I talked to a, a writer friend oh, a couple of three years ago, and I was really like, I was doing something a little different and I was a little concerned about um, sort of how it would be received. And was I repeating myself? And, and he said, look, every writer has the things they're interested in. You know, if you go to all your favorite writers, whoever they are, they have themes they return to again and again and again. They have, you know, we all have, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're a sculptor or a painter, you know, there are forms, there are that, that recur because those are the things that speak to you. And so just like have that be okay. Um, and so part of that is just like, yeah, I am, I am who I am and I'm interested in the things I'm interested in and, and sort of trusting that I, that I will do something that is, that is different enough that I'm not repeating myself, but it will still be interesting to a given reader. Um, and just because of who I am and the things I'm interested in, uh, you know, to know that it will be, it, that whatever I do will be consistent within my body of work. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna suddenly, uh, you know, write a romance novel. Although I do like books where there's, you know, I mean, one of my favorite books that I've written is where Peter, falls in love and meets uh, the woman who becomes his sweet patootie. Um, so, you know, I like to write about that stuff, but, you know, I'm, I'm never going to write Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm never going to write Harry Potter. Um, and even if I did, it would, it would, it would be a Nick Petrie version, right? So I, I'm, I'm sort of getting better at trusting my own taste. I read your last book in two days, I think. I could not put it down. And it's called the price you pay. I don't think we even mentioned that yet. Here we are 45 yeah, minutes well, in. Yeah, we need to promote. Um, we need promote. to promote lady. Okay. We're going to talk about promotion. Um, so it's called the price you pay. And actually it's very action packed, fast paced thriller. Like I couldn't believe how fast it moved and how much action there was in there. What was the hardest scene to write for you? And is this why you watch all of those horrible movies with all the chase scenes? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Uh, I'll take the, your questions in reverse order. That's I, I watch those horrible movies because I like them. <laughs> um, I, I am someone who likes an action film. I am someone who like there. There's a different level of those of those films that I'm really interested in a, on a creative level. Uh, Michael Mann wrote a, uh, made a movie called Black Hat, which is sort of a, a hackers in the real world uh, movie, which which really which I ended up watching a couple times in a row to sort of take it apart and figure out how it worked. Um, I just rewatched, uh, actually, I think this is also a Michael Mann movie uh, called Collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Um, and so like, those are, those are the, those are action and suspense as art form, right? Um, you know, but then there's, you know, there's a whole level of sort of B-level stuff, which I still love because I want to be entertained and I want to be distracted and you get sucked in. Uh, I mean, and that's, that's really what I do. What I'm interested in as, as a writer in terms of what I want to make and the books that I love. I mean, I, I read, I read, you know, a fair amount of mediocre crime fiction, but I'm always looking for something that really knocks my socks off, something that works on that higher plane and, because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to write something that that um, not only raises your your pulse level and uh, you know kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat and keeps you turning the pages, but I also want to to move you emotionally, right? I want the relationships on the page. I want you to care about those characters. I want you to care about how they relate to each other. Um, in this book, actually, there's there's a fair amount of that. We get we get to see Lewis's family life really for the first time. And so I think that was probably the hardest stuff to write was, and also the most gratifying because I could really tap into how I feel about my family in, in a way that I don't think I've really gotten to do before. Um, uh, I, I've written about, there, there's a, a book where it was a lot about how I felt about you um, was sort of what was underlying that whole book. Um, but this one was really about family life and how you feel about your kids as they grow up. And, um, you know, it's it's the joys of family. And Lewis is a guy who never thought he'd had a family. This is he he married a woman with two kids and these these boys had become his sons. So he thought he'd never have a family, but there's so the the joy and the pleasure of that. But there's also the existential terror that comes of of loving people more than you value your own life. And what are the things that you would do for those people? And that's really kind of what's at the heart of that, of that book. I'm going to read a line from The Price You Pay. You wrote, maybe the pain and fear are just the price you pay for doing the right things. Because the right thing is never the easy choice. It's almost always the hardest one. Do you believe that for yourself? Um. Yes and no. Um, I, I think I spent a lot of years um, trying to avoid being uncomfortable. Um, not physically uncomfortable. I've always been, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an outdoors guy. I don't, I don't really mind the weather. I've done a lot of backpacking by myself in the middle of nowhere. But, um, you know, trying to, trying to feel emotionally safe and to not take big risks. Um, and, and I think it's hard to, see yourself in a way and to say, you know, you are just taking the easy path. 
And that's not the path of, it's not, the, it's not your true path. It's not the thing that you really want to do. Um, and, and so I think that is terrifying to sort of launch into something new that is full of risk, even if it's just sort of internal risk, um, or to commit yourself to something that is, that is so far from guaranteed. You know, this, this whole idea of making a living as a writer is so insane and improbable. And I'm super lucky that I am somebody who gets to do that. But um, it is it is an uncomfortable thing because it's it's utterly outside my control. Um, I listened to an interview. Um, I can't remember with whom. Oh, Ari Emanuel, who's a, a, a Hollywood agent turned mega mogul. Um, who's got his fingers in all these different pies. And the, the question was, how do you how do you live with this level of risk that you're that you're engaged in on all these different levels in all these different areas every day? And there was this pause and he said, you know, you just you just kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so that's kind of I'm I'm trying to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and I've made some progress on it. I got to say, you have never shied away from doing the hard thing, whether it is in a business that you've run, the writing, parenting, being a husband, talking about the hard things. Kudos to you. You do not give yourself enough credit for embracing the hard things that you well, do because you. really. I appreciate that. Well, I, you know, one of the weird things, right? So I've been self-employed my whole adult life. Um, and so, you know, in a way, I have never, I have never taken the easy path. I have never done uh, anything the easy way. You know, I, I, I could have, I could have, you know, had a job and kept a job and I was always a good employee and blah, blah, blah. But I just, you know, I was just compelled to do my own thing for, I mean, really since I was, you know, I think 21 or 22 years old was when I started my first business. Um, and I, and I'm that's what I'm doing now is being a being a, a full time writer is running a running a business, um, and I think that has helped with some of that. But you know how risk averse I am in general, especially financially, um, because you know I'm not getting a a paycheck every two weeks, right? I, I mean it, it's a it is a you know and everything I've ever done has been really seasonal, right? So I was a I was a carpenter and a remodeling contractor. We are renovating old houses. And, you know, there's always, you know, there's a, it's all feast or famine. And then I was a, a freelance building inspector looking at houses for people uh, who were buying them and telling them what, what the condition of them was. And, and there was twice as much work in June as there was in December. Now it was, it was just that same kind of thing. Um, and so I, I, it taught me very early to be very conservative with my with my money and what I wanted to spend on, um, but I, you know, to me that's a huge piece of, uh, you know, making your living as a creative person is, you know, the goal is to get to keep doing it, right? And the only reason you wouldn't get to keep doing it is if your your expenses are so high that that and your income is so low that it it, it doesn't sustain itself. Then you have to go get a job, uh, and I don't ever want to have to go get a job. You know, I think a lot of artists and creative people have that same push pull of financial security. How do you create the things you love? You know, there's all this talk about 
you know, paint the thing you love to paint and create the work that you want to create and don't do it for anyone else, but you also have to make a living from it. I mean, if that's your goal to make a living in a creative way, it's a really hard thing for most people to do unless you're super prolific. And I mean, I, I think about, I mean, I have, I have friends who are writers who are, I think, more talented than I am. And, and I sell a lot more books than they do. You know, they can't make a living at it. And, and that's, that's just dumb luck in that the stuff that I'm interested in writing are also are, is stuff that people are interested in reading. Um, so I am not making what I make to, 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 to please an audience. I'm making it to please me, but I'm lucky in that it also pleases other people. And, and I think that's where a lot of that luck comes in. I mean, I work my butt off, you know that, um, you know, long hours and, and much gnashing of teeth. So hard work is a huge, a huge component, but it's also, you know, if, if what you're, if what you're compelled to paint is stuff that, um, you know, people find nobody wants on their wall, right? You're, you want to paint bloody corpses, you know, like that's your thing. <laughs> you know, you are probably not going to have a big commercial career. Um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't paint the thing, you know, scratch that itch, paint that thing that, that, that you want to make. Um, you know, you and I have talked uh, about sort of the other obligations of a creative person who, who wants to uh, have a career. I, I never, it never occurred to me when I was trying to get a novel published that how much of my time would be spent um, promoting myself uh, and getting in front of readers. Um, I, I really had sort of thought it was till the seventies when, uh, you know, you would, a, a writer would go on a month long book tour and, you know, you'd have reviews in every national paper or in every local paper. And, um, you know, that, the, that ecosystem doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, there are no, there are so few uh, places for, for a book review for anybody to find you. And so, um, you know, a big part of my job is to be on social media and to, um, you know, to, to promote myself in a, theoretically charming way the not obnoxious way uh, and to go do to go you know do book events and talk to readers and network with booksellers and like it's it's a, it's a giant uh, uh, chunk of, of what I have to do and it's kind of antithetical to doing the work because it's a whole different set of muscles um, so when I get in that mode I have to uh, you know, be able to toggle back and forth, which as you know, is not easy for me. So, so what feelings come up for you when you think about marketing and promoting your book, because you are right on the cusp of this, right? You're right in the middle of doing a bunch of podcast interviews. The book drops in several weeks from now. You are making plans to do a, you know, to go on tour. What feelings are coming up for you when you're thinking about this? Well, it's, it changes along the way, right? So when, when the, the tour and the, you know, podcasts and interviews start to shape up, um, I always feel a little bit panicked because I don't really know how to talk about the, the book. So I have to sort of, I have to sort of, first, I have to kind of find, figure out the story that I'm telling about the story I've told. 
and how to, you know, a way to make it accessible for people who might be interested and a way to engage people to get their, to get their interest uh, as well. So, so part of it is I have to sort of step back and it means it because of the way the schedule works, right? I'm, I'm working on a book right now, but I'm promoting a book I finished, you know, eight months ago. Um, so you have to pull myself out of the current project and back into the last book and to sort of be like, so what was that book about anyway? Tell us, what was that book about anyway? Tell us the story behind the story. Well, so I, again, I, I, tell, I talk about this book as the, in terms of, this is a book where, where I, I, Lewis and Peter sort of change places. Um, and it lets me dive into Lewis, who's been sort of a mysterious character, but we really see who Lewis is as a person and his relationship to his family um, and some of his uh, sort of personal tics that have been kind of developed, we sort of see where some of that comes from and um, uh, how some of that develops. Uh, and we see really, you know, this is the book where Lewis's problem is that his criminal past comes back to haunt him. He's learned that a member of his old crew uh, is in trouble, and he asks Peter to drive north into the teeth of a blizzard to rescue the man. You know, Lewis is a a semi-retired career criminal. And that's part of the tension between Peter and Lewis as, as characters and friends. So we get to really see a lot more of that, uh, of his past and what that looked like. And so that's sort of the thing that I think makes this book different from the other books. Um, previous books have been, have I've talked about social issues as sort of the entry point. Um, you know, I wrote a book about uh, sort of the newly legal cannabis in Colorado. I've written a couple books about technology. Um, I, I wrote a book, uh, my last book called The Runaway, which is um, half the book is from the point of view of somebody who is not uh, a recurring character, which I'd never done before. And so talking about kind of that in terms of structure. But so this that that's my point of access, but I had to sort of think about it. I had to think about how to, how to, how to do it in a concise way. Um, because what I'm, uh, most of what I do is either in front of an audience or on a podcast like this. So it's, it's about uh, sort of delivering that uh, message in a, in a quick and interesting way. Hopefully I've figured that out. I don't, I don't have any real confidence that I have. <laughs> Do you like this part? Do you like marketing and promotion? I love being in front of an audience. I love uh, being in front of readers. My, my uh, you know, I have the three, my kind of my three big events every year are, I, 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 there's a launch uh, in the last few years, it's actually been the day before the book drops at Boswell Books in Milwaukee. Um, and that's, I don't know, I think we've had up to 150 people. Um, the last one you interviewed me for, which was a, a bunch of fun. This one is gonna be uh, our friend, Bill Schweigert, who's gonna come in from Virginia. Um, and Bill is a total piece of work. Um, he's gonna ask me some deeply embarrassing questions, which would be a lot of fun. Um, and so it's to, you know, because with, I spend my whole life staring at a laptop, trying to, trying to tell a story. And when, you know, when, when there's book tour, when I'm in front of people, you know, I get to interact with people who are reading the stuff that I've written, right? So it gets, to, I, I get to close that circle. Um, and people, you know, ask these, these, deeply involved questions about, you know, what does Lewis think about this? Or what does Peter think about that? Or what does June, who is Peter's girlfriend, 
um, you know, they are deeply connected to these characters. And there's something about that that really feeds me and makes it possible for me to then go back and lock myself in my office. Um, so there's the, there's the Boswell event. Um, and then there are two more bookstores. One's in Scottsdale called The Poison Pen, um, which is a fantastic place. And the, the, uh, the owner, Barbara Pierce, has been a friend for since the very beginning. Um, and I'm often there with uh, another writer. So we get to bounce off each other as well. And then I go to Murder by the Book in Houston, which is, again, kind of a very different uh, kind of bookstore where there's no, there's no online component. It's very intimate. Um, but again, that store, I've been at that store for every book. Uh, and the, the readers are deeply engaged and involved. So th that's kind of the, the centerpiece of my tour. And then I, I go some other places and I do some other things. I, I, there, I do a bunch of local, other local stuff, the local libraries and there's a Madison bookstore and a kind of an excerpt bookstore that I really like as well. But like, that's the part I love. Um, and I guess I like sort of the, the strategic piece of like, um, so I'm, I've got the news, my newsletter back up. And so it's, you know, gee, what am I going to talk about? And how do I talk about it? And, and it's a very different kind of writing. So it is sort of a different set of muscles to, to write a, you know, to write a 200 word you know, marketing piece. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm being very chatty and this is, I'm, I'm genuine, but it really is a marketing piece. And so it has to, it has to engage in a, on a different level than, you know, writing about a, you know, you know, Peter and June having a conversation or, you know, Peter getting into a fist fight or whatever else. It's just a whole different deal. So I, I like that part of it. What I don't like is that it really pulls me away from the project I'm working on. And that's the hardest that's the hardest thing because it is, it is part of my job to do the promotion stuff. It's, it's unavoidable. And, and I, it, and it does feed me in a way, especially that being in front of readers like that, but it's a challenge to, to do, to do both those things. So you're doing something different this year that you haven't done before. You hired an independent publicist who's working closely with your Putnam people. Right. Um, but can you talk a little bit about why you did that, how it's going? What did you think it would be like? And like, what's the reality of it? Uh, there's a woman named Dana Kay in, in Chicago who runs a company called Kay Publicity. And I had, I had met Dana years and years ago. Um, and she's super bright uh, and super good at her job. And I had thought about hiring her a few books ago. And and I realized that what that was going to mean, I, she said, so what are, the, what are the obstacles? And I said, well, I just don't know if I, like, if I have time or energy to do all of these other events, right? All this other stuff. And she just, I got a very deadpan look. And she said, you know, that is my job is to keep you incredibly busy, is to keep adding stuff to your schedule because the goal is to get you out there. Um, and I, and I, decided I didn't, I didn't want that. I decided I wanted to just focus on the, the work and um, you know, on, the, on the writing piece. And so a, a, you know, a, fr a friend of mine actually ended up hiring her and, and had a really positive experience. And, and it, it made a big difference in terms of book sales. When I, we, so then I had another conversation with Dana and you know, Putnam, my, my publisher within Penguin Random House, they're fantastic. The team there that does publicity uh, and has done publicity for me for the last seven books, 
is they're smart, they're knowledgeable, they're responsible, they're really, it's a really great team, but they have so many authors they have to work with. Their, their resources are limited. It's, it's corporate America. Um, so they, they can only do so much. And the goal was to hire uh, this independent publicist to, you know, to, to do, to fill in the gaps and to do the things that, that my, that the publisher's team doesn't have time to do. Um, and, and it's kind of amazing the stuff that they've added. Uh, you know, there's a, a, an event that, uh, called Books and Beer in Columbus, Wisconsin. And, you know, so it's, it's little stuff, but then it's also, you know, they have, they have, they'll submit my, my work for um, big festivals like the LA Times Book Festival, which is a huge deal. And I'm pretty sure I've never been submitted for there before. Um, and all these other book festivals that I, honestly, I didn't even know existed that, you know, they've, you know, put my name in. And so it's going to be interesting to see how all of that happened. But I, it, it, it did make me and still does make me deeply anxious because, you know, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to go on the road for a long weekend, it's going to make it harder to, to keep my, to keep this project uh, moving forward because it just pulls me away. Um, so that's, that is my, it's always been my concern. And, you know, your advice to me was just say yes and see how it goes. Um, and I think that's good advice uh, up to a point. Uh, and I guess I'm, I am still pretty ambivalent about how this is going to go. I'm excited about all the, the the new places I get to go, but I sure wish I was already done with this book I'm working on so that I could sort of settle into that piece of the job instead of trying to do everything all at once. But again, that's, it's just how it is. I, I, it's not something uh, I can change or have control over. You know, to fly to Tucson, to be gone for four days, to come back, you can't just the very next day. I've seen you. You don't just the very next day go into your office, sit down and punch out three chapters. You just, you have to sort of mentally get immersed back in the project that you're working in. You can't, it's not a switch. You can just flip on and off. Well, there, there are people who have that approach, right? right. There's a, um, yeah, some people can do it. You're not one yeah. of them. Yeah, no, I'm not one of them. Um, the other, the other piece though, is that, you know, I'm an introvert. And so like, if I go to a conference yeah, where like, I am, I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I start, I'm talking from breakfast all the way through dinner and then a cocktail, um, you know, to, to come home, I need to decompress from that. So I can work on the plane on my way there because I'm not, I haven't quite fallen into that yet. Um, and I actually like working on uh, airplanes because I, I can't get up and do anything else. That's all I, you know, I, I'm trapped. But, you know, part of it is just, I'm, I'm just exhausted from all of the humanity. And it's exciting. I love, I mean, it's, it's my favorite thing about conferences is like seeing old writer friends and making new writer friends um, is, is, I mean, to me, that's the great joy of going to, going to a big conference like the Tucson Festival of Books or Thriller Fest or uh, any of those, you know, voucher con. Um, but it is, I, I come home and I need like three days to, to just stare into space. You know, it, one of the things about this challenging year that we've had, um, and it really has made me think about my own mortality and, um, and it's made me think about how much time I have wasted. Uh, like I finally got into that place where you've been for a few years now. I'm a little ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a little, um, where I'm just, like I am tired of screwing around. Like I just want to, I want to, and it's not like I want to, you know, go spend the rest of my life on a beach drinking Mai Tais. I want to make stuff. 
Like to me, that is what that is what I want my life to be about is I want to be able to write this book, finish this book and see how it turns out. And, and then I, want, I mean, I have so many stories I want to tell. I have so many different projects or kinds of projects I'd like to do. Um, and it's, it's driving me a little bit nuts right now that things are going more slowly than I would like. And so that to me, that's kind of my goal for the new year is to get back to that, a little bit more back to that place where I was when I was also running a different business and I was just carving out time. Um, and I would just go have a cup of coffee and write for an hour between inspections or, or whatever. Um, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to find my way back to that place where I could just launch myself in. But it's hard because the, the best thing about being a carpenter or one of the best things about being a carpenter or a home inspector is, is my brain was off. You know, I was focused on this other thing. And in the back of my head, which is where all the work really happens, you know, the story was still churning along when I wasn't really thinking about it. And then I would sit down and, you know, I could sort of flip that switch and be like, okay, here's what I'm going to do next. And now I don't have that other thing uh, to think about. So now I just freaking think about the book all the time. So that, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting transition when you go from, you know, having this be the, the, the hobby, something you've always wanted to do. And, and when it becomes your living, we talked about this last time too, I mm -hmm. think um, it's just a profoundly different relationship and you have to find your way through that. For sure. Have you ever considered writing a book of nonfiction? And if so, what would it be about? Uh, I have considered that. And um, I haven't actually worked on it, but I do think about it a fair amount. Um, and it, again, it goes back to my interest in creativity and how there are a couple of books about writing that have had really big impact on me. Um, and there's this whole, uh, you know, sort of ecosystem of craft books, you know, of how to, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, John Gardner's How to Write a Novel or, um, you know, Stephen King wrote a really famous book called On Writing about his writing process and about his life. Um, and because of the way that I am in the world, I am, I am very willing to be vulnerable with my own uh, difficulties and challenges. And one of the, one of the funny things about that is that um, other writers have been finding me to talk to about this stuff. And I'm the guy who can say to somebody who's a couple books in and is, is terrified, I'm the one who can say, yes, I'm terrified too. And uh, we don't have any control over that. You know, your job is to write the next book and make it as good as you can. Uh, and like, I, I, I didn't have anybody to say that to me until I was a lot farther along. And so like, if I can contribute that back to uh, a younger generation, uh, I, I would like to be able to do that. And, I, and it's also a way to codify that you know, what I have learned and put it all in one place. So then it would also be a book for me. Um, so that that's a, you know, I don't know if anybody would be interested in reading it. Uh, I don't know if, you know, I'm, I'm not a cultural icon like Stephen King is for sure. Um, but I, you know, it's, it is the thing that is of primary interest to me uh, after writing a book itself is to think about all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned a little bit about um, talking with other writers and that community piece. I'm curious, 
share with us how your community has evolved over the last several years between the pandemic, canceled book tour, you didn't have a book come out last year, so you weren't showing up at places that typically you would have, doing a lot of virtual events. Um, how has that changed recently? Well, it's interesting. The, the pandemic really was uh, crushing at first because um, I went to uh, two or three conferences a year before that. And that was what kind of helped me build and feed that writer community. As I meet, met new people, I saw old friends um, and people that I wasn't otherwise in contact with. Um, and when the pandemic came along, it was very clear that this, you know, that this was not coming back anytime soon. I, I came up with a couple of excuses to reach out and talk to writers that I knew. Um, so I would send an email and say, hey, I, I, you know, I want, I, you know, I want to talk with you about your experience screenwriting. Um, or, hey, I have a business question and you have been doing this for 25 years and I, maybe you could, maybe you would have some insight. So I would send an email and then I would have a conversation and we would be on the phone for an hour or more. And, and I, I did it, A, because I like, you know, when, when I had this series of business questions, I did legitimately like want to know the perspective of people who had been doing this for 25 years. And, but, but it was also just an excuse to keep having a writerly conversation. And, you know, I, I you know, every place I have a, a book event, I try to find another writer to talk to, you know, and sometimes it's the person who's interviewing me or, you know, I have friends in town or whatever else. And that's one of the fun things that happens when you've been doing this a while. Um, but like, I am much more fed on a weekly basis or at least a monthly basis by, you know, this group of, of writers I know and talk to. Um, and we just sort of check in with each other. Hey, how's your project going? Um, you know, uh, one guy who just had a baby. And so he had this whole, you know, this whole thing about getting his book done before the baby was born and he didn't. And, you know, you know, I, I, there's a, another couple of guys who I talked to who are, you know, they're just in different places than I am. And it's like, so how are you thinking about this? You know, how are, what is your experience and how did, how might that inform my experience? I, I like to, I like to say that it's important to, to hang out with people who share your particular disease. You know, you, you, I think, understand this process a lot more than most spouses because you are an artist and you have an artistic process. Um, you know, you're not an accountant, for example. And I think, I think most writers don't really have anybody to talk to who really understand this weird thing that we do and the requirements of it. And so for me, it's been a giant gift to get to sort of you know, every couple of weeks to talk to somebody about, you know, what's going on with you. You know, we trade writing hacks back and forth and, you know, what have you read that's knocked your socks off? I mean, you know, we, we, it's, we, we talk like, like uh, craftsmen, which is really what we are about how we, how we ply our trade. That's great. Thank you for sharing all of that. And it is really important. Every time you get off the phone, um, whether it's a 20 minute conversation or two hours, which also happens quite a bit and you just light up and there's something in you that changes when you're giving back in that way. So I just think it's really important that to have other people around you also push you and say, yes, go do that thing. Maybe you're going to connect with this community of people. Cause that is 
like hundred percent, like so important and crucial and vital for people who are creative. Well, the, the community piece is super important, and I don't, I don't, you know, you you have to find some some way to do that, you know. And there's for for most people, if they live in a community of any size, there's. If you live in a big city, there are a lot of ways to start to access that if you are willing to go out on a limb. Um, so, you know, and I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm always like reaching out to somebody, hey, you want to have coffee? You want to have breakfast? And, and you know, I, I, I have been the recipient uh, of that. I have been on the other end of that for years and years and years. I wrote for 25 years without getting published and I got encouragement from many people. And so, if I can be on the other side of that and provide that for people who are who are trying to do this thing that is so difficult, uh, I'm all in. Thanks for sharing all of that. What uh, what didn't I ask you? So the the I guess the one thing I wanted to say to you is that you know I I've often said that one of the most important things for somebody who wants to be a writer is to marry the right person. Because you have to be, your, your partner has to be in with you because it is challenging and it's a time suck and it's it's a weird thing to do. And I feel like I have been so lucky to uh, have you as my partner in life and other things because we, 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 ha we haven't always seen eye to eye on all of it. You know, we have certainly had our ups and downs and that's just part of marriage, but that you have you have been all in on this, even when you had no idea what that meant. That you were just, if it was something that I was interested in, chasing down, that you were you were fine with that. Um, and as as we've uh, you know kind of moved forward, and this actually this thing actually started to happen, you have really been uh, behind me. You've had my back the the whole way through, even when I was really not easy to live with, and I really appreciate it. You are very sweet. Thank you. I didn't make him say that. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're my sweet patootie. What can I say? Yeah, it's been fun to watch. It's been really fun to watch you. And we've also had other family. Your mom is a huge supporter of your work, and I've been able to talk to her about it, and I've been able to talk to other writers' spouses about it and everybody at Boswell. And so I also have benefited from this community that you have brought into your life and our lives. So it's made me feel like a richer person for being around all these people too. So there you go. This community of creative is so interesting. You, you, cannot, you cannot be somebody who is phoning in his life or her life uh, and also trying to become a painter or a writer or a sculptor or an actor like you these are people who are in hot pursuit of their lives and those are the to me the really interesting people is that they are they are chasing down this dream and to me there is something that is deeply compelling about those people and that that is one of the real gifts of uh, of falling into this life and I think for you the podcast for sure you have fallen in to this community with these wonderful people who are passionate and quirky and <laughs> super interesting. Uh, I, I just, I don't know what I feel like it's all been such a gift for us both. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Are you ready? Rapid fire? Yes. All right, let's go. Um, can you recommend a podcast 
episode that you're loving right now, a podcast or an actual episode that you're loving right now? There's a guy, there's a podcaster named Andy J. Pizza, and he's a commercial illustrator. And his podcast is called Creative Pep Talk. Um, and he's a, I think he's a super smart guy. His podcast, Creative Pep Talk, is way over the top. Um, it's, he, he kind of does voices. He, it's, it's, uh, and, and I, I have loved it for years, but sometimes it's just too much for me. But he was interviewed by Guy Raz, who's got a new podcast. He's the one who does How I Built This, right? Yeah. And his, his new one is called um, The Great Creators with Guy Raz. And so he's interviewing musicians. And um, so I've just, I've just discovered this podcast. And his, his podcast with Angie Day Pizza was really fantastic. And um, uh, Andy talks a lot about sort of how to... In his early career, he was trying to chase the trend, and he's realized that he just—he—it's all about being yourself, and it's finding finding who you are in, in a creative way. And it was just—it was a—it was a great—it um, was a great conversation. That's episode episode sixty-seven. Great, thanks. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um. All right. What place gets your creative juices flowing? Oh, outside. Uh, I mean, I think that's something you and I both have in common. Um, you know, one of the the great things I started doing last summer was running along the river, running on the river trail. So it was this great combination of uh, exercise and, you know, trees, nature, um, this winding pathway. You know, it's, it's I mean, I, I, I walk every day. I, I, I'm happy to walk on a sidewalk around our neighborhood, but to be, you know, in the woods, even if it's the woods in the city, just open something up in me. And if I have a problem I'm trying to solve, that's always the best way to do it for me personally. Well, you know, I totally agree with that. Thank you. I do. We're on the same page. <laughs> um, what makes a good life? What makes a good life? Uh, you know, well, when I was young, when we first started dating, I used to say it was food, sex, and conversation. But those were the big three. Um, and now, you know, we've been married almost... 25 years here um so now it's just food I, and sex <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> but so, i mean i do i do think that like you know to have a community um of other people who are like-minded and not like-minded because if you only talk to people who are like-minded you never learn anything new um the community of people who are in hot pursuit of their lives like to me those are super interesting people um, and food will always be a biggie because, you know, I, I love to cook and I love to eat your cooking and, uh, we have, uh, sourdough starter uh, percolating on the counter right now. When we're done with this conversation, I'm going to go make some bread, I, you know, I, and to, to chase something that feels like meaning to you, right. Uh, to, and whether that's being useful to other people or whether that's making something new, um, you know, I started this volunteer gig. It's meant a lot to me to go work at this food pantry and and help people. And uh, you know, it's a great reminder of how lucky I am and and uh, a way to to grow my own empathy towards other people. Awesome! Thank you, thank you for showing up and doing this and being my inaugural 2024 episode here in season whatever we are in. Well, I appreciate this conversation. You, you and I have these 
wide ranging conversations about things, but there's something about doing it in this format that is sort of focusing. Um, like, I don't think we have this kind of conversation. We, we have these kinds of conversations, but, but in this format, we, it's a, it, there's an intensity and a, and a commitment to the conversation that's super interesting to me. I appreciate you. I love you. I appreciate you too, baby. And I love you a bunch. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed that. Here are the takeaways from my conversation with Nick. Number one, keep a clean antenna. We don't know who said that. Maybe a choreographer. Number two, winnow down and lean into the thing that's interesting to you and that you really want to pursue. Then let go of the outcome when it gets out into the world. Number three, this is a quote from the poet Seamus Haney. When someone asked him, what's the hardest thing about writing? He said, getting started, keeping going and getting started again. That's a great reminder. And number four, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Whew, thanks for listening all the way to the end. You can follow Nick on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Oh, I guess it's X now. And check out his website. He's nickpetrie.com. That's N-I-C-K-P-E-T-R-I-E. Please tell a friend, write a review on Apple Podcasts, or buy me a cup of coffee to help keep this venture going. All those details are on my website at authenticobsessions.com. See you next time. Bye.